Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast I'm chatting with Tom Ross to discuss growing a team, coping with burnout and marketing your business. But before we dive into the interview I want to thank FreshBooks who have sponsored this season of the podcast. FreshBooks is a cloud-based invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for freelancers and small business owners. It's simple to use, very intuitive, and it's really nicely designed too. We just started a new tax year, so now is the best time to take a look at new accounting software. And you can try FreshBooks out totally free for 30 days just by heading over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear section to get started so as mentioned this week i'm interviewing tom ross the founder of design cuts a company who sells some of the best discounted design resources i've ever seen online like they're absolutely amazing normally they're around 29 dollars, and the stuff that you get for that price and the quality of them i i just can't recommend them enough so i highly recommend checking design cuts out after this interview Tom's also the host of the Honest Designers podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And I can't recommend that enough either. It's a really fantastic show. I've known Tom now for a few years and he's someone who's given me incredible advice to help with my own marketing. And as someone who's really passionate about this subject, he's helping and supporting designers to succeed in so many ways. I've invited Tom on this week to discuss a wide range of topics from scaling your business to dealing with burnout and marketing your business too. So let's dive straight into this. Here is the interview with Tom Ross. Here today, you are CEO of Design Cuts, which has been incredibly successful. Can you share with us the journey that led you to Uh, creating that business yeah absolutely Um, I think it makes a lot of sense actually in hindsight as things often do but from about the age of 12 I've been simultaneously immersing myself in learning design but also marketing and entrepreneurship and I've got such a passion for both so from that young age you know I started a, a freelance career I've done a blogging in the design space. I've built communities in the design space. And alongside that, I was just learning loads about marketing, loads about being an online entrepreneur. And so by doing both in tandem for a lot of years and trying all these different ventures, it eventually led to Design Cuts, which I guess is like the perfect marriage of the two because we help the best product creators in the world who make these amazing fonts and brushes and graphics. We help them to sell their products because a lot of these people, they love creating, but they don't really like distribution and marketing and that kind of thing. So for me, it kind of scratches all itches. You know, we can, we can help these people and, and we've helped some of them put their kids through college or save their house. Um, and, and that kind of thing, which I get such a kick out of. Um, and then we also foster this really, really warm, amazing community because I love the design community in general. I always have. And, and I think our community is one of the best examples of that because the people are just awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the design community in general is absolutely amazing. Everyone is always so supportive. And I think you as a business do a fantastic job of really encouraging that. Anyway, I'm keen to ask you about your transition from 
freelance to eventually building a really big business because I'm aware from listening to the Honest Designers podcast that you prefer working in a team rather than on on your own and I'm very much the same in that sense and it's one of the reasons why I still have a part-time job at an agency and only freelance part-time but what's the reason why you prefer working in a team rather than freelance which is the, the route I tend to see most designers wanting to take? Yeah it's a great question so I think part of it is just my aspirations because I'm quite ambitious and I always want to build something really, really big. And after a certain point, I recognize that you do become a bottleneck when you're a solo freelancer or solo entrepreneur, you can only scale up to a certain point. And I, I think after that point, you do have to delegate, you have to hire out in order to build something bigger. And my aim is to, you know, literally like change the world. I know that sounds crazy, but um, I think to an extent, you know, we have disrupted the industry in hopefully a very positive way and and we've impacted millions of people. And that's the stuff that really excites me. And that kind of goes for like creativity and business. I always give the example of Da Vinci basically turned a blank canvas into the Mona Lisa and change the world in the process. And I love that, that like literally you and I could be having this chat and then you could just get a light bulb moment and have an idea. And with the right work and execution and creativity put into that, you could literally change the world from nothing. Mm, I love that example. And I think you're right that Design Cuts has already made an impact in the industry. And uh, you're so right that there's no way that you could have done that on your own certainly not as fast anyway and you really got me thinking that I personally limit the growth of uh, Logo Geek and I'd, I'd imagine that you know listeners will probably be able to relate with this too but basically um, you know when you work on your own there's only so much time that you you can allocate to anything and I know I'm the 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 only one that's um, limiting growth as I've got the leads coming in and I've got an audience too that I could uh, potentially monetize but because I'm just one person there's no way to scale my business beyond what it is now without involving others so the the question I have for you is how was you able to grow your business from the point of being a one-man band you know just a freelancer because my concern is that I need to go from earning enough money for me to suddenly needing to double that income so that I can pay both myself and this extra person too. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, quite a few really. And um, let me just say, this is not a natural thing for me historically because I worked alone for so many years. I was the kid who was learning this stuff and freelancing from my bedroom and when I started Design Cuts, we uh, were kind of connected to like a bigger corporate um, in that we got to use their office space and some of their infrastructure. I started like in the corner of their sales floor, just a kid on a laptop. And I found that really hard to transition from total freedom, like working at home in my pajamas, to <laughs> being in quite a corporate office. Um, and so I think at first I was behaving like a bit of an idiot because I would come up and like, be reading a book and have my feet up on the desk and not not look very respectful and that wasn't out of trying to be disrespectful it's just because I was so ingrained and so used to to doing my own thing yeah and so that was a real learning curve the same way it was a learning curve to build a team out I hadn't really done it before aside from you know working with guest 
blog authors on my blog and that kind of thing. But I'd never managed people full time. I'd never done any of that. And so it was an unbelievably steep learning curve. Um, and I really kind of had to learn on the job and just try and give it my all and, and make the best job of it. Um, but sorry, was your question kind of how, how to scale? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you you obviously went from that point where you was working on your own, and uh, you you obviously got to a point where you thought, okay, I need to employ someone. Yeah, and you were saying about the money, right? Yeah, I mean, I I've thought about doing this in in the sense that I I basically just employ like a freelancer on a job to job basis, but you've obviously been able to employ um a, a vast number of people. It's just more of a case of especially with the with the mindset that, that that you had at that time what was it that you did to take on your first employee to scale because I, I can imagine <laughs> that there will be people that would be in that same position yeah so um it wasn't easy i i don't know how much you've seen in my story growing design cuts but i basically worked 18 hours a day for a year and a half uh, which culminated in me putting myself in hospital and having major surgery um part of that was because i thought i could do it all so despite seeing growth from day one, we didn't hire for our first 10 months uh, into the business, which is ludicrous looking back. And even then it was only a part-time hire. So it wasn't like it was the comfort zone for me. And I was like, yeah, let's chuck a load of people at this. It took a long, long time for me to let go and kind of think, yeah, someone else can either do a better job or even if they can't, I need to let go of this to scale. Um, in terms of hiring people and, and you know, losing out financially i think it's that kind of cliche of speculate to accumulate right yeah. so it's an investment you're realizing that maybe you need to scale back expenses and trying to accrue some savings to do that maybe you just earn less for a short term because you know this time next year you're actually going to be twice as well off because you've scaled out um and as much as that can feel like a big risk like the worst case scenario is you hire with the intention of scaling it doesn't work and then, unfortunately, you have to let that person go, but then, you know, they can kind of comfortably go and get another job, you hope. So it's not yeah. like you're in it for life. If it really doesn't play out how you hope, you can always go back to the way things were. Um, but I, I, I really think, like, do you mind if I share what you were telling me about yeah, um, sure, how many requests you're getting sure. before we start? Yeah. So, so you were saying, you know, you're getting like tons of requests every day for work. Um, so really you could be saying yes to so many more of those opportunities and then simply delegating out whatever parts of the work you wanted, um, building it into more of an agency model. And then you mm. can just run the numbers. How much is that person going to cost you? How much are you going to charge? And you obviously make a, a bit of, um, money on top of that because you're the mm. one bringing in the business. You've set up the platform, you've built your brand. You're probably dealing with the clients. You're managing that person. Like, you know, I, I think a lot of people get kind of funny about that and think like, am I being unfair by keeping some of that money for myself? And it's like, no, absolutely not, because you've worked so hard to build up what you've got and you're providing this person with a great job, which they should love. So it's, it should really be like everyone wins in that scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think you made employing people sound very realistic and, and achievable. Um, I like that you've mentioned that your first hire was uh, a part-time uh, person. So, you know, taking that approach, there's not that much risk really, is there? There's not. You're giving it a try. And if you never try, then you know, you'll probably never get to that next point if you, if you indeed do want to get there. 
And um, you, you know, I'm sure, how I do the Honest Designers show with Lisa Glanz and Ian Barnard and Dustin Lee. Dustin is probably the best in the group at delegating. And even he's been pretty slow with it as well. Lisa, I had to nag into submission. And I don't <laughs> mind saying this because we've talked about it openly on the show. Like repeatedly, she kept saying she was too busy. She had to keep saying no to things. Like she was doing work that was stressing her out and detracting from the work she should be doing. She knew she had to hire, but she felt so uncomfortable yeah. doing it. It took, I think, literally months of me nagging her and hand-holding and trying to guide her to do it. And now she's uh, hired this woman, Julie, and she loves her. She, she really gets on with her. She does an amazing job, and she, she could never go back. That's the funny thing. When you hire successfully and it works out, and suddenly you know, that chunk of work, which you might not particularly have enjoyed doing, uh, gets done by someone else. And then you can go and focus on the stuff you love. You never want to go back. You think, oh man, like if I had to go back now, I feel like I couldn't because, you know, I wouldn't want to take that work back on. I'm so used to doing it this new way. Yeah, very true. Um, can I just ask, and, and I know this is going into Lisa's story, but what was it that you advised as her first hire? Was it a graphic designer or an assistant of some kind to help with the admin side of things? I think it's a bit of both, actually. And Dustin has a similar setup. So there are people, if they like your brand, she actually hired someone within her own audience. Wow. Okay. If you're saying, I need a bit of help, like, you know, organizing my files and prepping them for the client and helping with some of the junior design work and helping me with some of my incoming emails and XYZ other stuff they are literally thrilled because they're like, what a dream opportunity to work with a bit of an idol of mine. Yeah. Um, so they get a huge kick out of it. And I think Lisa um, is still not full-time. So she's she's part-time with it as well. So there's so little risk. Like it's less, um, less of a drain financially because it's not a full-time employee. You don't get all the headache of... Um, you know, the logistics of hiring someone full-time and payroll, you know, you're, they're effectively more like a contractor. That's a really good way to look at this. It's, it's nice to hear um, this. It's, it's nice to hear that um, both you and Lisa have approached it as a, a gradual thing and mm -hmm. uh, you're basically testing the water to see what happens. So um, it, you know, it, it doesn't happen all in one go. It makes it a lot less scary because um, I, I know it's scary. I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, if you want to scale, you have to hire, go, go, go. Like I'm, I'm completely <laughs> empathetic because I've been in those shoes where it is scary and intimidating and you don't know what you're doing, but just a toe in the water, find someone that you really like working with, just get a little bit of help. I literally, um, like with my, my personal brand, I don't know if you've seen the new show I'm doing there, but I'm getting help with that too. So I've got someone, um, who's literally like time stamping videos to help cut them up for Instagram and someone who's applying captions and someone who's cutting the videos together. And soon one of these people I'm going to get to actually upload the videos to my YouTube. And each time one of these jobs kind of gets off my plate, it saves me 10 minutes there, 15 minutes there. Yeah. Cause I'm really busy. I don't have that much time. And so when it starts to kind of just work like a, a seamless machine, it's a really, really amazing thing because then you can focus on the stuff that you're most passionate about and that's going to have the most impact. Yeah, very much so. Um, I also wanted to ask you about something that you briefly um, mentioned and, and that's burnout. And it's one of those topics that very few people in, in the graphic design industry have actually spoken about, but I know that you are one person that's been quite open about that. And I do think burnout is probably a lot more common than what 
people like to admit um because it is one of those industries where you can just keep working 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 Mm -hmm. what have you done to avoid that because obviously you made yourself ill and you've changed that what was it that you did to avoid that and and what what do you do ongoing to make sure that that's not going to happen again yeah i think there's a few things you can do so one would be finding that sweet spot because you're right especially as graphic designers if we're there and we're in it every single day um when when do you stop and if you're anything like me i can't stop until something is completed (laughs) when it comes to design work if i walk away and leave it half finished it drives me nuts um and so you can end up working into the night and, and that kind of thing. I think to avoid it, you need to get a level of self-awareness because I would go through the same pattern over and over again. I'd get really caught up. I'd be so passionate. I'd just chuck everything I, I could at it. And then I'd kind of dip and feel quite like depressed and lethargic and burnt out and all that horrible stuff. And then before I knew it, I'd pull myself out of that. And then I'd go back through exactly the same cycle of getting really excited by a project. And it got exhausting. It was like every two weeks, it's like an up and down roller coaster. And so I think the answer is kind of finding that happy middle ground, that sweet spot. And I know if I start working like 13, 14, 15 plus hours a day, then I start to become no good to anyone and I start to burn out. But if I work generally like 10, 11, 12 hour days, then I can maintain that, but still get a lot done. So I think everyone is different as well. What a lot of people do is they look up to someone online, like a big designer, for example, and think they're doing all that stuff. They're working this hard. They're doing these hours. So that's going to be the right fit for me. But you need to recognize that we're all different. And some people might only need five hours sleep a night. I know people like that. Other people like me need eight or nine, or they feel wrecked. Other people might need 12. Like, we're all completely different. We're different, capable of completely different things. And so I think just tuning into like what the right balance is for you and then being self-aware enough to look at it and be like, Oh, I pushed it a bit hard this week. I need to scale back and get some more rest time in. Otherwise I know what's lurking for me around the corner. Yeah. I've not actually got to a point where I made myself ill, but I felt really drained by just working too much, working all the time. Um, in my schedule, um originally i tried to do like two or three projects a, a week which is unsustainable uns- uns- now i just do one project a week and i give myself a buffer so like every three to four weeks i just leave my diary completely free and don't book anything in there and then in <laughs> those in- yeah and and in those instances where like client takes ages to come back or you know you you've just got too much on one of those weeks you've got that buffer to move things and it just makes everything so much more manageable. Yes, it completely does. And I think as well, we can become our own worst boss with it because when you're so into what you're doing, no one's really holding you beholden. It's it's not normally the client that's actually breathing down your neck. It's yourself. And so I think a powerful thing can be occasionally just snapping yourself out of that and realizing how much freedom you have and doing stuff that people in a traditional nine to five can't do. So if you literally want to like, keep your pajamas on and go and like walk around the park and listen to happy tunes in the middle of the day you can go and do that if you want to go and get waffles at like half three in the afternoon or random example but you can like if if you want to just take a day out and like go to a theme park if that's your kind of thing 
you can do that too. And you know what I mean? We, we get stuck in such a habit of just like design, 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 work all the time that you're so blinkered you don't actually occasionally look up and think, oh yeah, I can actually do pretty much whatever I want yeah. as long as I get the work done. And so giving yourself those occasional days of freedom is a pretty awesome thing, I think. And, and it's kind of a, a reminder I try and give myself, especially, I think especially when it gets really busy and you feel like you don't have the scope for that, that's the time where it's most important to do that, where you go, you know what, I'm just going to take half a day and I'm just going to force it in the same way I, I, I would if an important client or meeting came up. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's one of those things because I've gone from working for companies for over 10 years to suddenly working for myself. And in, in my head, I'm like, I have to work between 9 and 5.30 and, and that's what I need to focus on. But that just didn't work for me in, in reality. So, Are you a night owl or a morning bird? Um, I definitely prefer to sleep at sleep as long as I can in, in the morning I, I do not like waking up so there, there are times when I have my freelance days I might wake up at seven which is you know relatively early but then like earlier I, I woke up at nine because I, I just felt really tired and I thought I'd benefit from having this extra rest and I'll start work at 10 rather than working at nine and isn't um, it great that we can do that though yeah and it, exactly and I do not mind sitting down and just work later in the day. Like sometimes I do take long lunch breaks because I, I can as as long as as long as the work still gets done, that's the 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 main thing that that matters. Like in, in terms of like planning, I've got the next four days to, to focus on my work. So I just wrote down what I have to get done each day. As long as I do those three, four things in each list, I could pretty much do what I want. So <laughs> And, Love that. and I think, and yeah, and I think we don't being, stop often enough, right? And think, yeah, exactly. Actually, how special is it that we can do that? Exactly. I find it really strange sometimes because there are days when I just feel like I haven't done any work, and then <laughs> I, I check like um, my uh, business bank account. And it's like, oh, that month, okay, I made it, you know, a few grand. I, I don't know how I did that because it felt like I, I didn't work just because I've been able to create this kind of way of working so that I work when I feel like it and I I rest and do other things when I really don't feel like working and I think it is a case of finding that balance and you know that that's really worked for me it sounds like you've got it down pretty well um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a constant juggle but yeah pretty much <laughs> I, it's funny actually you ask about burnout because I was listening to a podcast this morning about this and it was saying how it's such a fallacy that the stereotype is millennials and the younger generations are lazy. And it's so wrong because actually we are the generation of burnout yeah, and we're so. the most efficient generation because we're getting so good at cramming everything into less and less time. And then we free up time to make time for more busy stuff. Yeah, you know so and it was talking about how um, everything from like Uber to Deliveroo and tinder and all these time saving apps what they're doing is they're saving us hours which we then immediately pack with more work yeah. which then gets more efficient and then we pack it with more work and i think that's so true of designers you know we all have these little like ways that we get more efficient in what we're doing and instead of just chilling out when we do that we immediately fill the time that opens up yeah yeah i think in my case one of the biggest struggles has been when i think about money like if i do have some spare time i think oh if i take that project on this month i can earn an extra 
thousand pound or two thousand pounds for you know it, it's it's very easy to kind of grab those carrots and keep earning as much money as you can but in in <laughs> yeah. reality is if you do work out kind of how much you actually need you then think okay i've made enough money this month i don't need to take on those projects and i, I think that's yeah. that's been my biggest struggle from a burnout perspective is when there is a carrot like a a, a nice shiny carrot that's a nice <laughs> sum of money it's very easy to take that on and that's that's the, the situation when i've personally just been so overwhelmed with work you know just because i've just taken too much on it's learning to say no isn't it yeah exactly I, I've got a analogy which I use sometimes for this and imagine next to you there is a giant mountain of pound <laughs> coins yeah. or um, for the Americans out there, dollar bills. Um, and so you take one and you put it in your pocket and so you're, you're a pound or a dollar richer. And so then you take another one and you put it in your pocket. And the temptation would be you're just going to keep doing that, yeah. filling your pockets more and more and more and more. And not only that, but you're going to start doing it faster and faster. So before you know it, you're just going to be frantically grabbing these coins and, and putting them in your pocket. And you could easily be there day and night, just going and going and going and going. And you'd forget to shave and wash and you wouldn't see your family. You'd just be there kind of getting into this, this greedy frenzy. And I think that in many ways is a metaphor for how a lot of us end up working. And yeah. whether the pound coins represent actual wealth or success, or whatever it is you're grabbing at in life, um, I think when we're when we become one-dimensional and we're just chasing that, yeah. and and that's all we've got about us, that's a pretty unhealthy thing. Yeah, it, it really is. Like you, um, I, I do think it's really important as a graphic designer or anyone that's kind of working for themselves to know how much they actually need to earn each month and to be realistic with what you take on and and not to grab all those shiny coins just because they're they're there like the most valuable thing that you actually have is time and I think you need to give yourself some of that time otherwise you just get to the point like you did and you made yourself very ill and um I, I think that that's a ca catastrophic situation and you just want to avoid that yeah desperately and um I don't know I think balance you know it sounds yeah. so, so cliche I think we all need balance and the thing we should be chasing is probably contentment. And um, again, I don't want to sound cliche in that, but I know some people that are just super content and yeah, they're successful as well, but they're just really, really happy day to day and what they're doing and, and what they're building and creating. I just want to take a short break to tell you more about FreshBooks, who has sponsored the Logo Geek podcast. And without them, it simply would not be possible. I remember when I started out as a designer, taking on my own projects, I was creating my own invoices in InDesign and I was keeping a log of my money in an Excel spreadsheet. That was fine at first, but with more projects, it was just taking too much time and tracking expenses in Excel was becoming quite messy and confusing. But then I tried FreshBooks and it changed everything. Invoices that used to take, you know, five, 10 minutes now took around 30 seconds to create. My profits and expenses were also nicely organized too. And I, I just immediately felt so much more organized and more professional in the process. 
If you're not yet using an accounting software, I highly recommend that you give FreshBooks a go. And if you're listening now, you can get a free 30-day trial and there's no strings attached. You don't need to enter any credit card details to try it out. All you need to do is head over to freshbooks.com forward slash logo geek and be sure to enter logo geek in the how did you hear about section to get started. Now let's get back to that interview. One area that I want to to talk to you about is is marketing because I feel like that is your biggest strength and the reason why um, you're as as successful as you are just because you know what you're doing when it comes to marketing and um, I'm always seeing what you're doing so you're obviously doing something right so I'd love to kind of dive into (laughs) this yeah I'd love to dive into this topic in in a, a lot more detail and I know there's so many different areas that people can focus on from a from a marketing perspective so if you was a graphic designer and you're just starting out for example what would you do to go about marketing your business yeah it's a great question um and i i get some variant of this question quite a lot actually from my followers okay um i think i think there's a lot you can do and that is part of the problem is that people get overwhelmed yeah and i think first of all people need to realize what a fantastic tool marketing can be um, equally the same way that design can be. And I think they really are the perfect marriage. That's why I've loved always having a foot in both camps because the way I see it, marketers um, generally suck at design. So the majority of them are out there and they're putting out like hideous looking graphics on social media or their YouTube videos look rubbish or their email graphics look really bad. Or what they have to do is they outsource it because they really can't des- design to save their lives, which means they're incredibly slow. So they might just want to put out a social media post today, but then they have to contact an agency and wait two and a half days to come back and then want revisions. And so it's three and a half days before they can just share something on Instagram. And I think as designers, we need to realize what a huge asset it is that we can just whip the stuff up ourselves for free. Yeah. Yeah. Like the number of times that I've just, you know, whipped up a website or created a brand around something I'm doing and I've done it incredibly quickly. And the thought of, you know, that dragging out over weeks or months and having to pay thousands for someone to go and do it would be painful for me because it would be so slow. Um, but the same way that works, it works for designers because if we're really bad at marketing, then we start to fall into that starving artist cliche And I think thankfully that's starting to fade a little bit. I think more and more designers are waking up to the the power of marketing themselves and actually building something and and turning it into a successful business. And so it's fantastic that that stereotype is starting to die out and I'm seeing more and more people rise up and, you know, either earn passive income or have multiple income channels or just be doing a better job of getting their name out there because there's nothing worse. I think Dustin, um, from our podcast talks about this quite a lot where he's met people who he deems as like way more talented than some people at a conference that are uber successful but they're really struggling and it's it's painful to him because he's like this person deserves so much success but they're like living on the breadline practically yeah and so first of all i think um as a aspiring young designer i would realize how powerful it can be to have both skill sets And the same way you learn design, the same way you learned how to drive or do anything else in life, you can learn it. And 
I think the second realization is realize marketing is not a dirty word. Um, I talk incredibly openly about this because having learned this from a young age, I was literally Googling like how to do internet marketing, how to do marketing, that kind of stuff. And, and what came up was like absolute sleaze, like all the horrible sleazy marketing trash that you see everywhere. So I've been exposed to the worst of that. And that's now why I try and preach the good stuff. Um, and, and why I, I call people out. Um, I, am I allowed to say bad words on the yeah, show? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't, don't know if you saw on my new show, uh, The Honest Entrepreneur, I did an episode called uh, How to Not Be a Dick Online <laughs> uh, because I was just so sick of seeing these sleazy marketers taking advantage of people. But I think for creatives, that's a lot of um, their perception. They see these sleazy marketers and they think, oh, no, like that makes me feel really uncomfortable and I don't want to be like that and therefore I'm yeah. not going to learn marketing. But what they don't realize is there's amazing people out there um, in the industry. So people like uh, Chris Christo, who I saw at the weekend at his meetup, people like Lauren Hom, uh, who I'm working with, people like Aaron Draplin. These people, they're fantastic creatives, but they're also really, really great marketers. And they're doing it in a way where they show it can be done in a way that isn't sleazy. They're, mm -hmm. they're doing it in a way that can be creative and fun and engaging and, and bring people value. And that bringing people value is the key part, which I try and focus on. Um, I think if you can enrich someone's life and entertain them and make it engaging and bring them some kind of value, that's the best type of marketing. So that's a, that's a bit of a long-winded overview um, with just a bit of a, a mindset shift, which I think most people need to have initially. But to answer your question, Ian, if I was that designer starting out, what I would do is two things. I would split marketing into kind of sales and brand. And the way I think about brand is you build a brand very slowly and very gradually over a long period of time, the same way that you build a reputation. And my mind, in my mind, brand um, is essentially how people think of you. Um, you know, if they hear your name, it's what, what thoughts and emotions it conjures. And by that token, it's how they talk about you to other people. And that can be a really powerful thing because I know if I'm talking and I have done, I've talked about you to other people in the industry. I have certain things that I associate with you, all of which are very positive. Uh, you'll be glad to hear. Um, but but that really is kind of how I see your brand. And you, you, you're no longer just Ian. Yeah. You have become Logo Geek. You've built a real brand. Yeah, I mean, that that's even to friends and family as well. It's, it's really weird because even though I was actually um, a graphic designer uh, prior to working on Logo Design, because, I mean, obviously as a graphic designer, there's so much that I can do because I just keep putting out logo design related content. Even my friends think I just do logo design. It's a funny thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. And it's, it's a great brand and it's more memorable. We actually, um, this is good timing. We, we did an episode on this for the honest designer show that we recorded last night and we talked at length about brand. And I think people shouldn't be scared to kind of commit to what areas of design they really care about so you are super passionate about logos um we were giving a hypothetical example of someone could brand themselves up as like the design doctor who basically took existing brands that were kind of struggling in her and and brought them back to life um <laughs> by, by rebranding them you know that's one hypothetical example but in a sea of noise and a sea of everyone trying to offer design services 
you're going to be a lot more memorable if it's like, oh yeah, that's the design doctor guy. Like, you know, that's what he does. And there's endless angles that you can come at it from. Um, but I think really taking ownership and kind of committing to something. Um, but the point is brand like reputation does take years to build. It's not going to be an overnight thing. You need to kind of plant a lot of seeds. You need to put out content. You need to help people in a certain way. You need to make those connections and just kind of put out good stuff for a decent period of time before people start thinking of you in that way. I think that's completely worthwhile, but recognize that's a long-term play. What's more short-term is more the sales side. And again, sales doesn't have to be sleazy and like cold calling or anything like that. But often when I say to people um, like fledgling designers and they're like, oh, I'm really unhappy because my goal is to get more clients. And I'm like, what are you doing to get more clients? And they're like, uh, basically nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's why you're not getting more clients. So what I often advise is come work out the kinds of clients that you want, come up with a pretty short, short list of them, and then just go and pitch them in a really, really amazing way. And the way I see it is, it's like when we get job applications at Design Cuts, you can tell the people that have just spammed the same CV template out to 5,000 companies. And I never look at it twice. But equally, we had a guy um, who sent us this personalized box where it had like um, sweet treats in it. It had a really beautifully written cover letter that was so personal and talked about how he listened to every episode of The Honest Designer Show. Um, it had this amazing kind of book he'd put together personally for us with uh, examples of his work, but also stuff that was really meaningful to us. And it was so impressive that I got the whole team around my desk looking at it and they were all like, wow, literally there was like oohs and ahs coming from people. And the team were like, oh damn, like we need to up our game. <laughs> if yeah. This is like the standard of effort that people are coming in. Um, and, and as a result, we didn't even have a job opening for this guy. He was just that keen to work with us. So we had to kind of say, we don't have a job open right now, but, um, myself and our creative director took him out for lunch and just shared as much information as we could to help him find his way. We're still in touch with him and we're finding ways to give him like, uh, remote freelance work until we have something more stable for him. Cause we want to keep in touch. And then we gave him even more advice about how to refine that pitch and how to really wow people and kind of have that shock and awe effect. And on the back of it, he went and did it with another local company and got the job. Yeah, oh, brilliant. And, and that made me incredibly happy. Um, so quite, quite a long answer there, but essentially, uh, if I was that new designer, the three steps would be realize that it's so worthwhile to learn marketing and it will set you apart from the crowd. Uh, think about building a brand starting today, but recognize that's going to take a long time and start getting into that mode of like, if you want clients, go and get after them. Stop just like posting on Instagram every day and hoping that they're going to hit you up and want to work with you. That's very reactive. You need to be proactive. You need to find your dream clients and then go after them in an amazing, thoughtful way. I really love this advice. And and I just want to add uh, to this that if I started my business from scratch, I'd go down a route of creating a, a business that offers design services to a niche audience. Um, because when you do that, you can really focus every aspect of your business because it's it's easy to work out exactly who you who you're targeting um where they hang out and you can hyper target you can really focus your marketing efforts to for example if say you wanted to target wine companies you can create content um 
around that, such mm-hmm. as creating an Instagram feed where you're creating wine label designs. You can have a blog where you study trends on wine labels. You can have a podcast where you're discussing wine label design. Like if your content is hyper-focused in that way, it should be relatively easy to um, start ranking on Google for search terms around that niche, yeah. you know, um, as, as a quick examples uh you know you could come up on google for things like wine branding or logo design for wine mm-hmm. you know something like that yeah and, and you know if you're running ads you can get super targeted there yeah if you're thinking about the language that's going to resonate with that audience it's going to be a lot easier to get to know all these wine label people and work out what they care about and how they talk and maybe you're a wine guy yourself and that's why you're going after them. So you can speak their kind of language very confidently. What's overwhelming is I'm going to try and reach anyone who's going to pay me. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's super vague. And it's like, I don't really know how to talk to everyone. No one can talk to everyone. And so going more focused, like you say, there is, is such a powerful thing. And I think some people get scared by that designers. They're like, is that not going to limit me? Um, but I know you had Blair ends on your show and we did on ours and he gave a beautiful metaphor where he said, imagine there's a hallway with 12 doors. Did he mention this when he was on with you? No, tell tell, tell Um, the story if you can. Yeah. So, um, it's basically a metaphor for niching down, but he said, imagine there's a, a doorway with 12 doors. People get completely paralyzed and frozen, um, because they think if they pick a door they're going to miss out on what's behind the other 11. But the truth is when you open one of those doors and go down it, it leads to a corridor with an infinite number of new doors. And worst case scenario, you can always go back out the door and into the original hallway and pick another door. So people get so frozen, but when you actually start committing and going down a path, um, you'd be amazed at how many opportunities arise that you never dreamed of. And I know Ian, you're being very humble and saying like, you didn't niche down at all. But in my mind, you're the logo geek. Oh, yeah. I mean, lo- logo design is very much a, a, a niche and, and one benefit that I I have. And I mean, in my case, I didn't do this all intentionally, but because I'm hyper-focused on logo design, I'm at a point now where if you search on Google, I'll come up on page one or two for logo design. Or, wow, um, no wonder on, you're getting a load of client inquiries. Then. <laughs> yeah, based, based on location, because because I live in Manchester, I've I've intentionally optimized my website to come up for position one for logo design in Manchester, logo That's design amazing. UK, stuff like that. And on mm-hmm. iTunes as well, if you search on iTunes for logo design, you know, uh, spot number one, because what you find is most graphic designers, they want to do everything. So if graphic yep. designers have a podcast, it's generally about all topics related, whilst mine is, even though I do branch into other topics like this episode, the the primary focus is logo design, or yep. I know that the audience is logo designers. So yeah, if 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 you do focus on one specific area and you, all of the content that you create is around that, it, it works. <laughs> It massively works. And case in point, um, my my personal trainer is currently trying to rebrand and he needs a new logo. And he asked me the other day, do I know anyone? And guess who popped into my head top of the list? And I know <laughs> it was like, I know hundreds, yes. if not thousands of designers online. Um, but you popped in my head top of the list yeah. and you wouldn't have done if you were like Ian's generic designs.com. 
you know but yeah. straight away i was like oh yeah logo geek yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's the same in so many um different situations because even just the the actual name logo geek if you need just a logo and i mean obviously i can do branding as well but most most people when they start a business they just think i need a logo what do you search for you search for logo design and if you find someone called logo geek that's always sharing logo design related content has communities around it podcasts around it who are you going to go to are you Mm going to go to him or are you going to go to this person that's doing everything yeah you'll be so much more confident as a client committing to someone where you're like oh they're a specialist and i keep seeing examples of this so i've started doing um they're really fun actually like these weekly instagram lives where i try and help one of my community it's like an hour of free consultancy type thing um and the last one i did was with this guy chuck chai and he's a hand letterer but he basically uh, explained on the call that his true passion, he thinks, lies in doing food lettering. Mm. And so, like, literally lettering with food, you know, spelling a phrase out of coffee beans and that kind of thing. Like, really, really cool. And I was trying to encourage him to go fully down that path because there's a million hand letterers out there. That's a super crowded space now. But I can't think of that many food letterers. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a much smaller niche. Um, and everything that you just talked about, I think, is going to play out for him where suddenly he's going to be able to proactively target relevant food companies and market himself to them way better rather than just like anyone who wants a bit of hand lettering. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be really interesting to see how that pans out. Anyway, we are near the end of our time. So I want to ask you one last question. If you could offer your younger self just one piece of advice, what would that advice be? Um, Okay, so I I would say there's kind of two answers. Um, The silly but probably quite true answer would be invest in Amazon stock. Okay. Or something along those <laughs> lines. <laughs> um, but the uh, the deeper, more philosophical answer, um, I think, would be to more fully commit to what I'm doing now, which is like the human side of marketing. And and for a lot of years, I wasn't really, I wasn't doing this lazy stuff because it never sat comfortably. But I kind of thought that's what you had to do. Yeah. And so I was just scared to to fully commit to anything. But as soon as I, like I wanted to do all this stuff that we do now, which is like having fun and being disruptive and helping people. And um, I think I was being taught by Google and these other places. I was basically being taught, nah, it doesn't work like that. Marketing isn't about being nice. Um, it's not about bringing people value. It's about this like secret hack that you're going to drop in. Uh, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So I would go back and shake myself and be like, just go where your heart leads you and actually um, – you know, just start building, building these communities and um, giving value and helping people because that's the most rewarding, fun thing in the world. Mm, that's fantastic advice. And I totally agree with it. Well, Tom, it's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Yeah, and likewise. I really appreciate the, the honesty, you know, which matches up nicely with your podcast. And because of that, I know that people listening uh, will have got a lot out of this episode. So Tom, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad we could catch up, Ian. And well done on everything you're doing. It's incredible. Another brilliant, honest interview. Tom, thanks again for your time. 
If you'd like to find out more about Tom, firstly, go and check out the Design Cuts website, which you can find at designcuts.com. I also highly recommend listening to the Honest Designers podcast and also following Tom on Instagram too. I'll link to all of that in the show notes, along with anything discussed in this interview, as well as the full transcription. To find the show notes, just head over to logogeek.uk forward slash 4.8. Now, if you like to discuss this episode with me and a community of other logo designers, I recommend joining the Logo Geek community. Now, you can find it on Facebook, but I'm really excited to announce now that I've also started working on a completely focused community platform away from the clutter and noise of Facebook. Now, to join us, there is a small monthly fee of $10, but in return for that, beyond networking with other designers in a really nicely designed environment, we'll also have frequent Zoom calls, I'll be doing giveaways, and I'll be focusing as much of my free time in there as I can. So personally, if you're a fan of the podcast and you want to chat with me privately in depth about your business, that would be the best way to do that. On top of that, people that do sign up will also be sent a really cool Logo Geek enamel pin badge that you can't buy anywhere else. So I hope that alone will get you excited about this. To find the new Logo Geek community, just head over to community.logogeek.uk. So that's it for this week, but we'll be back again the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast. 